Do you ever hear the term, he's a goner? Uh, that's incorrect spelling. I did that. That's not, that's not a typo from the media people. That, uh, I typed that and sent it to them before I looked it up in the dictionary. It just has one N in it, which to me means goner. So that's the reason I spelled it that way, but I was wrong again. So anyway, he's a goner. And did we ever get that uh, comic strip? That's really kind of, kind of, uh, kind of vague. It's really good from here. Can you make it out? There's a snowman swimming. Can you see that? Over in the left side. And then there are these snow sharks. And, and Hobbes says, snow sharks? And Calvin says, that guy's a goner. Do you remember Hobbes, Calvin and Hobbes? Um, I, have, I have a collection of snow, Calvin and Hobbes snow strips, and this is out of my my personal collection. That collection is for this. Every once in a while, three or four times a year, I'll just open that file and go down through there and laugh again at Calvin and um, the stuff he puts his family and the, and the world through. And um, so that guy is a goner. In Acts, the 14th chapter, we read, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. The story is that um, the, um, Paul, the team of uh, Paul and companions went into the city and they, uh, Paul was speaking uh, to the crowd and there was a guy that was crippled from birth and the Holy Spirit... I, this would probably be called word of knowledge if you're trying to put it in the proper gift of the spirit category. Uh, he, dis, he discerned, uh, or maybe just make it less spiritual, he, he just observed that this guy was believing the message and had faith to be healed. And so he says, get up on your feet. And he did. And he was healed completely. So this heathen city decided that uh, these guys... Uh, Paul and Barnabas were, were gods. Now, gods could, in, in their pantheon, could come down and be a part of the world. And you read about that in Greek mythology and in Roman mythology. And um, so they were, uh, they were respectively uh, Zeus and Hermes from the pantheon that had showed up incarnate in their little town and uh, they wanted to offer sacrifices to them. And the apostles talked them out of that. And a little bit later then, uh, some people that had posed them in these earlier cities where they administered came, won the crowd over, and they stoned Paul. Instead of offering a blood sacrifice to him, they pick up these rocks and threw them at him. Now, these rocks were probably cobblestones out of the street. They probably just tore pavement. And so these things are half as, uh, they're a third of as big as your head, larger than, than both your hands probably. And so you could hurt somebody with them, but it would take a really strategically placed blow to kill you with one rock. 
So it was kind of a slow death. Now keep that picture in mind. And we go back to 2 Kings. And the king of Aram, which is present-day Syria, he reigned in Damascus, same city, uh, then and now, as far as the, its location. This, this king was at war with um, the king of Israel, but instead of just pitching a battle line and going at it, this guy was doing the guerrilla warfare kind of thing. Specifically, he was setting up ambushes. So that the, when the king of Israel would come along, they could harass him, if not kill him. So, Elisha the prophet would get a word from the Lord and he'd send word to the king and say, avoid this place because that's where the king of Aram is. And it, uh, the king of Aram got the message that somebody was, was a turncoat and was sending the message of this information to the king of Israel. So he called his people in and he said, would you please just identify yourself? Who is the traitor here? You know, and it's like, nobody, king, it's Elisha the prophet. He tells the king of Israel what you do in your bedchamber. That was kind of a threatening thing. It was like, get off our back. We didn't do this. No, I, I don't know. That. So he, um, he said, well, go find out where he is and we'll go get him. And so they found out that he was in Dothan. And so they marched overnight and surrounded the city of Dothan in the dark and um, we read, go find out where he is. The king ordered so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He's in Dothan. They sent horses and chariots and strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. Then when the servant of the man of God, Elisha, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. And like Paul lying there, apparently dead in the road, who was a goner. This servant of Elisha says, we're goners. And then we go to Second um, Chronicles, King Hezekiah. And Hezekiah had been faithful to the Lord and was uh, trying to do right. And he wasn't a perfect king, but he he was, his heart was toward the Lord, and he, he didn't have other gods. He had Jehovah and was faithful that way. So the king of Assyria, modern-day Iraq, uh, came and decided just to take over that part of the geography, which we would call now the nation of Israel. And um, so he, he went after these guys, uh, and was doing, uh, well, let me just read it to you. After all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. He laid siege to the fortified cities, thinking to conquer them for himself. And he went, uh, he went, he didn't go to Jerusalem. He sent emissaries to Jerusalem to threaten the city and say, we've taken this city and this city and this city, and we're going to come and we're going to take you and you're done for. And it was, to, it was a psychological warfare. It was to frighten 
the citizens of Jerusalem and, and all the warriors, etc., etc., so that they would not have the nerve and the backbone, the fortitude to fight Sennacherib, uh, the Assyrian king. And he was strong. He was a strong king. He came with uh, nearly 200,000 foot soldiers. He was a big deal in the military war uh, apparatus of that year. And it was sort of like, um, he's a goner. Hezekiah's a goner. Jerusalem's a goner. Um, the snow sharks are about to get him. Then we go to uh, Peter. This is the day, or this is the night after the day where Jesus fed the 5,000 with this little boy's lunch. Now, it was a good-sized lunch because these five loaves, though not five loaves of bread, uh, were, were like a, a piece of pita bread and about that size. So he, it was, you know, it was all a little kid would need probably for all day. And he had some uh, dried fish, so that he had a lot of carbs to keep him going, and there was a little protein to kind of anchor everything and make it work well in his little body. And the Lord took that lunch and fed, <laughs> we don't know how many thousands, we know there were 5,000 adult males. And those are the only people they counted in that particular story. So there were kids, at least we know there was one, because it was one kid's lunch that they used. And they got... Twelve baskets full left out of that. So this is, this is the setting. Jesus sends the disciples away. This is down on the shore. Um, that, that evening he sent his disciples away to go to the other side of the lake. And he goes up on the mountainside to pray. And sometime after 3 a.m., I'm sorry, sometime between midnight and 3, Jesus comes to them. I'm sorry, it was 3 a.m., but sometimes, I'm sorry, I'll get it right sometime. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. Now, we've, we've made a lot of fun of them. But if you could imagine what they were going through, honey, that was a terrifying experience. In the first place, they hadn't had any sleep. They've gone almost a whole day and night. Uh, without sleep, the wind is against them. They're not making headway across the lake very, very well. Uh, having to row every uh, foot of the way, and and then you know they've they've got a lamp, at least one perhaps in the uh, front of the ship. There's a little boat. This boat could be like 20, 25 feet long. And maybe one in the back, I don't know. And they begin, with this kind of light, they begin to see this figure on top of the water, vertical, coming toward them. And that's, that's not a blessing, it seems to me. That they should be terrified seems logical. And so they were very logical at that time. They were terrified. And um, Jesus says, when they cried out in fear, you, you can just hear them, ah! 
And how are you going to get away? Because this thing is, is gaining on them, and they're rowing as hard as they can already. <laughs> There's a lot of funny stuff in this, but I, it just, it, they are just almost as human as we are. So they cried out in fear. Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And Peter goes from this terror-stricken mode, because he, he's not any tougher than the rest of them. He cried out in fear, too. If it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And uh, Jesus said, that's easy. Come on. This is, this is an astounding part of this story to me. And it doesn't fit with my thesis very well, but I just can't go by this. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. Now, we criticize him for a a development right after this that's a part of the story. But, baby, until you have set your little fanny down on this edge of the boat and swung your legs over the water and slid off and walked water, save your criticism. Well, go ahead and criticize if you want to, but uh, you're going to sound kind of silly until you've done it. Now, back, back to the thesis. Started to sink. Started to sink. It was when he saw the wind. Now, you can't see wind, but you can see the effect of wind. And so he saw... Not only the waves that the wind was creating, but then he saw water fly off of the top of a wave like it does in a strong wind. You've seen that. You get the chops because of the wind creating that, but it's blowing so hard that it messes with the top edge of that, and so that you get this spray almost coming off the top of this. And Peter looked at that. Now, begin to sink cried out, Lord, save me. Um, The guys in the boat said, he's a goner. He's a goner. Now, let's go back and pick up the Apostle Paul's story in Acts 14. But, now, Paul is looking like he's dead there. There's blood coming out of wherever and, and, and whatever. And he says, and they say, Oh, God, help us here. We've got to have your help. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe, preached the good news in that city, and won a large number of disciples. Okay? From apparently dead to getting up, bloody and all, going back in the city, And, and just right into the ministry with great success in the next few weeks. Great success. I thought he was a goner. The city people certainly thought he was a goner, or they'd have, they'd have been throwing rocks at what appeared to be a corpse. They thought he was gone. The disciples gathered around him, no doubt, praying, and he gets up. And 
I don't know whether he was limping because some of the some of the rocks that had been thrown at his upper body and head had hit his legs and feet. He might have had Charlie horses and bruises all up and down his legs. I don't know. He might have had some broken toes from all of that. He might have been limping, but he got up and went into the city and just went right on in the ministry with great success. Let's go to Elisha. The guy says, what are we going to do? We're goners. And Elisha says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. The city, these were behind the, these uh, this fiery army was behind the natural army there. They were encircled. They were entrapped. So being a goner to seeing the power of God demonstrated in just a prayer. Pick up Hezekiah. He appointed military officers over the people and assembled them before him in the square at the city gate and encouraged them with these words. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because the king of Assyria and the vast army with him, for there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of the flesh. Shades of Elisha. Um, Only the arm of the flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and fight our battles. And the people gain confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. And then later in that chapter, we read, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, cried out in prayer to heaven about this. And the Lord sent an angel and annihilated all the fighting men and leaders and officers in the camp of the Assyrian king. So he withdrew to his own land in disgrace, and he went into the temple of his God. And when he went into the that temple, some of his sons cut him down with a sword. Go from being a goner at the hand of the Assyrian with this almost 200,000 army to the army all being dead and the king dead by the hand of two of his sons who escaped into what is now Turkey. Let's go look at Peter sinking and crying out, Lord, help me, which, by the way, is a great prayer. Don't forget that prayer. Lord, help me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? He lifted him out. They got into the boat together and found themselves at the other shore in about the next instance. Now, that's, that's going from being a goner to being victorious, having all of this experience with the power of God under our belt, as it were, we going through that sort of thing are never the same, never the same. If you've gone through something really, really hard and have come out on the other side, you know that you are better 
in your faith and a whole bunch of other things because you went through that. It is, it is so great. And so I, want, I just want to take you now to this. When it, it looks like you're a goner, there are some words from these stories. Recurring in these stories is, don't be afraid. If you notice, all through the Bible, when there is a divine visitation, whether perhaps Jesus Christ in a pre-incarnate form or an angel appearing to someone, the, the first thing out of their mouth almost always is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, because that just scares the tar out of us. The response of the guys in the boat on the Galilee uh, after 3 a.m. that night of just freaking out in fear, that is the normal response that we humans have to the appearance of God. And I want to see him, but it's going to scare the tar out of me unless I get a new body, you know, if I get, if I get changed. If I get to see him before this, this thing is redone, he's going he's to need to say to me, don't be afraid. It's all right. Hang on. Uh, so just understand the awesomeness of the, of the appearance of God. Don't be afraid. I read something in relationship to this as I was putting this together, that said, uh, fear is calling God a liar. And that's kind of harsh, isn't it? He said, I don't call God a liar. Hello, cut, cut me some slack here, Pastor. Well, <laughs> I don't particularly want to talk about it. I just want you to know that fear is not from the Lord. It's kind of like condemnation. There is, therefore, now no condemnation to the ones that are in Christ Jesus. No fear. God is love and perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. It just, it's just a part of the deal. When you're afraid, that's when you feel so tormented. It's awful. And the Lord has great, great help. Another thing that I want to say to you along with don't be afraid, is pray. You say, I have prayed. I have prayed and prayed and prayed. I believe you. Uh, I, I laugh at us because we who believe that God still physically heals bodies today are frustrated when we specifically pray for healing, maybe over and over again, and we haven't gotten it yet. And so we start trying to, you know, our theology will not allow us to blame God, so it's, it's got to be the fault of the person who is sick. If it is we, then it's the fault of the elders who prayed for me, and they must not have prayed a prayer of faith because I'm still sick, or whatever, you know. We start looking for a way to get the load that it's not my fault. So, uh, oh, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, there was a there was a teaching that, that just sprang up uh, that's related to the fact that uh, some illness is related to sin, and some illness is related to sin. Jesus made it very clear, uh, go stop your life of sin, lest something worse comes on you. 
okay? But let pay very close attention to this. I've never seen a Christian who was chronically ill, who had not searched their heart to the depths for every motivation, every act. They have ser- if there's any sin there, they don't know about it. And they prayed that prayer that covers sins they can't see. So that's probably not even appropriate response when you're praying for somebody that believes in Jesus Christ, believes in healing, has prayed for themselves, has had other people pray for them. And so just save that. Well, if you get the sin out of your life, just save that. As a matter of fact, don't save it. Flush it. Now, there are times when we, we will deal with people who, who are not walking with the Lord and that would be appropriate. Be very, very careful. Heal them first, and then raise that question. That's good. You just got helped. If you ever pray for somebody who's sick who does not walk with Jesus, be very, very careful that you don't bring up the sin issue about causing their their illness until they are whole, and then you got a little currency, see, got a little traction there maybe to get their attention so that they can clean up their life and avoid getting into this again. In your heart, say, thank you, Pastor. I'll keep that in mind. Another thing that we need to do to be encouraged along with don't be afraid and pray is believe. Believe the promises of God. Believe the promises of God. You've heard me say that perhaps the single greatest thing that I could do for you if I could give it to you would be the faith to take every promise in the scripture that's to us and just make it possible for you to believe it. And you look at that and you say, yes, that's from God. That's for me. It's not about my goodness. It's about God's grace. And I accept it and then walk in it. That if this church in the U.S. would do that, our, the reputation of the church in the first place would be like kind of like in awe. They'd say, man, Watch those people. They are holy, and they love each other, and they are good. Uh, You may not be ready to get in with them just yet, but hold them right there in that respect, instead of us being a hiss and a byword and all hypocrites. When we claim that we're sinners saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, I don't know how you can be a hypocrite, but somehow we are, so whatever. Follow me? So let's do this. Let's pray for ourselves. God, bless me by your grace so that when I read your promise, it just jumps alive in my mind, and I believe it. I believe it. And I know, even if there's some delay, I know that it's going to happen. Did you hear that? Now, we don't want delays. That's like getting killed by stoning. It's a slow death, you know. Delays just beat the tar out of us. If you were from Oklahoma and Texas, you'd know what I meant. It beats us almost senseless. But the promises of God are true no matter what the circumstances are that we are facing. Now, that's not very new or profound, is it? You know what? I knew that, Pastor. In our hearts, we hear this this time when we say to 
about the project we're praying for, and if it's ourselves, if we are the project, we say, he's a goner. He's a goner. Ain't going to happen. He's a goner. But the Holy Spirit does this. Let's go back to Paul. The Holy Spirit takes that dream that we think is dead and we say about the dream, about ourselves or whoever the dream belongs to directly, we say, he's a goner. The Holy Spirit raises Paul up. The goner person is is sitting up. He's shaking his head a little bit maybe. And he is turning around and raising himself up on his feet and he's walking under his own power and he's fully alive. He may look like, is the Dickens a legal word to say publicly? He looks like the Dickens or whatever. He looks bad. Badly, if you care. Looks awful, but... He's not dead. He's not a goner. He outswim the snow sharks. He's not a goner. The Holy Spirit raises him up. What is that need you're carrying? I sat last night at a table with a guy that I only recently met in the last few months, and uh, he was he, he was talking about the way our country. He's a he's a strong believer. He was talking about the way our country has gone as far as the general overall humanism and materialism, and it just, it freaks him out, especially because he has some adult kids that do not walk with the Lord, and they have been absorbed by the spirit of the world, and they're just kind of a reflection of the stuff that he thinks is totally not of God, and I I agree with him. And it's gone on 30 years, according to him. Now, that's not funny. If you're the one in the prayer closet, and the duration from the time you started this prayer until now is 30 years, that's too long by our standards. It's too long by our standards. I recognize that uh, figure of years because we had that in our family. I have repeatedly mentioned my brother who who got out of undergraduate school, went to graduate school, went for three quarters, dropped out, turned left in his spiritual life, uh, got into what was then called the peace movement during the Vietnam War. And uh, for 30 years, we prayed for that guy. And I told you, he was sitting right over here in this section, third or fourth row back, when we were dedicating this building, it'll be, what, 11 years ago? This month. No, it, we dedicated it in the summer. We, we occupied it. So it'll be 11 years ago this summer when we had the dedication service. He was here for that dedication. He cried all the way through the dedication. It's like, you don't cry dedications. <laughs> what? But it wasn't the dedication. It was the prayers of his parents and his sibling and his in-law 
his sister-in-law and all of the people who loved him and walked with God. It was those prayers for 30 years, and he's not tough enough to resist that forever. He had built all sorts of walls around himself to keep that out. Doesn't impress the Lord. Our walls do not impress him. Their walls, the walls of your kids, do not impress him. And I was able to give a brief picture of that, uh, of that guy, my only sibling, to, to this gentleman last night. And I hope encourage him. I hope strengthen his hand when he goes into that prayer closet and he starts to bear down on God. This is what's wrong. These people are doing this. They, they know better. They, they were raised this way, but they're doing that. And, you know, day after day after day, that gets old in the flesh. So let's stay in the spirit because you can't do that in the flesh. You better have the Holy Spirit because he does not get tired and he will raise you up. It gives, when the Holy Spirit comes in to encourage, it gives us new fire and passion. Paul, the apostle, whether, whether there were cuts, bruises that remained on him, uh, he might have had cuts that would need several stitches. I don't know whether Luke came along and stitched him up or not. I don't know that. Or the Lord may have just healed all of that, and when he got up off the ground, having been thought to be dead, he didn't even have a mark on him. I don't know what God did. That, that detail is not given to us, and I know of no tradition that speaks to that. But it doesn't matter because the fire of God was in him. They went to the next couple of cities and just won a ton of folks to Jesus Christ right straight out of the heathen world. That's the will of God. That's God's will for you. That is the plan that God has put forward in your life. And so we come to this final point. The Holy Spirit restores and accomplishes the plans and purposes that God birthed in your heart and you came to know this is what God did for me, what he plans for me, what he intends to do with me and through me. And those things become alive and are accomplished. Oh, dear one, I wish you could talk to my brother about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You think you're a Pentecostal? Check it out with Ed before you claim to be truly Pentecostal. He may be where the bar is. Well, how'd that happen? Well, I'm just so good, I just talked him out of that other stuff. Right. The guy's about half bright, and what that means is the higher your IQ is, the greater the, your ability to deny, and the greater your ability to resist perfect logic. We have that demonstrated all over our culture today. And he, he's a bright boy. He could have turned us off. But you can't turn off the Holy Spirit. Build all these walls you want to. The Holy Spirit just goes over the wall. And he doesn't mess around with the outside of you. He goes right straight into your head and just goes... Right in the middle of your brain. He messes you up because God 
loves lost people. He loves now the plans that he put in your heart, and you know what that is that you're fighting for, and maybe it feels like you're you're dying a slow death. Remember, remember, God raises you up. He gives new fire, new passion. He restores and accomplishes his plans and his purposes in your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's begin to praise the Lord. Just give him praise. Take that thing that's, that's frightening you, that thing that's such a big deal in your life, and, and hold it up before the Lord and start praising the Lord as if it's already done, as if your project is already sitting over here in the sanctuary just bawling like a baby when he should be just kind of watching the ceremony. See that picture. Begin to praise the Lord for that. Go ahead. Let's, let's just take a minute here and just worship the Lord. You've got those projects. You've got those plans. It looks like they're goners. No. Hallelujah. 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 It is to you, O oh God, that we look. It is upon you that we have our eyes fastened. We are listening for you. Hallelujah. 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 Let's stand together. If you're not walking with the Lord, God Almighty, who does all of this stuff for humankind, so loves.